Hi guys, welcome to Crosstalk, a local podcast proudly brought to you by RP's Diploma in Mass Communication and the Singapore Red Cross. We are so excited to have you here today as we talk to leaders from the Singapore Red Cross about social changes that they've championed. I'm Ishwarin. And I'm Angela. And here with us, we have Celine. Welcome, Celine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Celine, how are you feeling today? I'm good. Uh, how are you guys? To be honest, I'm actually quite curious about today's episode. So, would you like to tell us a bit more about yourself? Sure. My name is Celine, and I'm overseeing the Community Resilience Department of the Singapore Red Cross, um, focusing a lot on what we call the Family Life Aid Program. So, as the name would suggest, uh, we look after the most vulnerable families in Singapore. Okay. So could you tell us a bit more about why you joined this? Uh, so I've been with the Singapore Red Cross for about six years, uh, but I actually started off in the fundraising department um, because it was just like by association, the, the, the most convenient department to get into. Uh, so I was there for two years. Uh, before that, I was doing international work uh, with another organization. Uh, and one day we just stumbled upon a gentleman who lived uh, in a rental flat. Uh, who came to ask, uh, you're doing so much work for international people overseas. You know, Have you ever considered doing anything for the people in Singapore? Uh, and I think it kind of resonated. So that's why I explored an opportunity in the Red Cross. And for the last three to four years, that's what I've been doing. Okay. So could you share with us more about uh, what Family Life Aid is? Sure. Uh, when Family Life Aid first started, we were actually just called Food Aid. That was about six to seven mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, we were only giving out uh, meal vouchers uh, for families to purchase groceries because we believe that instead of giving out like hot meals where we decide what they should eat, uh, a lot of the families have uh, the power to decide what they can put on the table. And it's different for different families. Uh, so what we do is when the referrals come in from social workers on an island-wide basis, uh, we decide based on the funds that we have, the number of families that we can serve. And the families are all divided into uh, three key categories. And how they were decided was um, really typically the, the categories of families that were not uh, or underserved mm-hmm. uh, by the existing social service agencies. For example, uh, single parents, uh, not just single mothers. We actually have a number of single uh, fathers in our program as well. And then the next one, it's the skipped generation. There's a generation that's missing from the entire Mm -hmm. family. We have one case of a grandmother who's looking after 12 grandchildren. And she does not have the means to take care of them varying from 2 to 12. And she's the only one looking after them in a one-room flat. Wow. So there were a lot of technical advice that she needed about the kind of subsidies that they could get. What kind of other assistance as a grandparent can they apply for the children? We realised that there actually is a, bit, a, a big group of them in Singapore uh, that doesn't fall into a certain common category. So when we receive these applications, we will assist them as well. Uh, and the third one is a group that we call uh, the working poor. So basically, it just means that the income that they get uh, cannot cover the expenditure of the family. Usually, like if a pandemic like COVID-19 hits, then you know a lot of the income is affected. Uh, and they can't cover their expenses anymore. So that's where we come in with our vouchers to try mm. and give them a bit of a push. So yeah. apart from uh, providing food vouchers, what other services do you guys provide? Initially, we started off as just with a vouchers program. Uh, but last year, we decided that like, you know, it's uh, for, for every month that we give out the vouchers, uh, it puts food on the table, but it never gets them out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Or we don't have the opportunity to journey with them a bit more. 
so we have expanded food aid into what we now call family life aid, which focuses a lot more on the children and youth. Uh, as the parents are so busy trying to get money and trying to you know keep the family together uh, amongst all the domestic issues and the social issues, um, we want to try and make sure that the children, especially those between the ages of 4 to 12, uh, and also the younger youth, like the three, 13 to 17, uh, actually has a certain mentor that can just talk to them. So for the 4 to 8, uh, we do basic like ABCs and just enrichment mm. programs. Because you'd be surprised a lot of them, uh, when you go to primary one, uh, some can't even speak a word of English. Whilst their peers uh, who have the opportunity to go for you know, tuition or additional classes uh, can write long sentences and you know stuff like that when they enter primary one. And then for the older kids, the 9 to 12, we do uh, tuition. Um, and it's all led by volunteers um, to just give them primarily in English, math and science to just kind of bring them, bring up their levels. And then for the youth, we just try to engage them and give them opportunities to become leaders in different ways. Uh, I give them platforms to explore what they like to do. So actually, you did mention earlier about uh, helping single parents as well. So um, I actually do have friends who are from single parent households and I understand that it's hard being able, like, having to raise a family, like, on your own, especially if it's, like, a big family, like that um, skip generation grandmother family that you talked about with the 12 children. I can't imagine how hard that is mm. to be raising all these kids on your own. So could you perhaps tell us about maybe a single parent family or... Yeah, we have uh, actually quite a number. So uh, typically, I think when people think of single parents, they would think of single mothers. Uh, yeah. But we also have single fathers in our program. It's interesting because as a single father, you have to play so many roles. You know, you have to bring in the, the, the income uh, to take care of. Because I think the subsidies for a single father... Uh, I don't think it's as much as for uh, single mothers, actually. Oh, um, because they're supposed that? to get in the income as like the head of the household. Oh, uh, okay. And also you have to pay alimony to your wife, whether it's you know, a divorce, etc. So uh, we have one that um, he, as, a, as an individual, grew up in a really complicated background where he was uh, adopted by um, parents who then passed on. And he was just living from different households, different households. Uh, and he finally had money to... Uh, he was living with his friend for a long time. And then he finally had money to rent his own room. Uh, then the custody of the child was given to him because mm -hmm. it was all given to the, to, to the mother. And then the mother couldn't take care of the child anymore. So this two-year-old was then given to him. Uh, and then he was kicked out of his flat because the arrangement was that he had to only be one tenant. So now oh, he has a child. So he so was actually put, uh, kicked out. And then now he has to find another rental flat. So he now lives with his uh, aunt. Yeah. Uh, but all along, he had to hold an income uh, to support himself and then his child and also pay and juggle, all these, yeah. yeah. So, so, so it depends on how they become single parents, right? Whether or not, and we have a lot of, uh, you know, underage uh, parents. Mm. Uh, we also have those that the wife have passed on. Um, so typically, there was dual income and two people were looking after two children. Uh, this is another family. And then the, ma the mother passed on. So it's not just the father looking after two children. Uh, young children, uh, and he wasn't able to uh, work anymore because he had to look after them himself. But we managed to arrange uh, something for him to come to work uh, for, for the Red Cross. Oh, um, okay. So that we could stagger the timings and, and be able to work around the school's schedule mm. um, so that at least he gets a bit of income along with community assistance uh, while we continue to engage the children for tuition and enrichment and stuff like that. All right. Yeah, so there are many, uh, th this type of situations that really goes under the radar, I think, in Singapore. Uh, so that's what we're trying to 
do for them. So as we all know, COVID-19 has actually been affecting many families and you've seen it affecting these needy families. So could you say that there's been an increase in applications? Yes, for sure. Uh, and not just an increase, but like the the profile of the families have changed as well. Typically, we would see those that have come in from existing uh, rental flat situations, right? So they just kind of need additional assistance. Um, but we now see people like uh, pilots coming in to apply for assistance, your middle class and your middle income coming in to uh, apply for vouchers as well. I think it's really because they haven't been exposed to social service assistance before. Uh, but now with COVID, with the loss of jobs uh, from industries that you would never expect, they don't really know where to go for help. And they don't know what kind of documents and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But because Red Cross is a brand that they all kind of know, uh, does humanitarian work. Um, so they would just either walk into our office or write in an email to just kind of inquire. Yeah. Um, so we have seen an increase in the number of applications. Uh, we have also seen a change in the time of uh, profiles of the people that we may need to serve. So earlier you mentioned that you helped out a grandmother with 12 grandchildren. I was actually curious as to how you actually helped her out. Um, so actually when the social worker referred uh, the case to us, uh, it was for the food aid vouchers. Uh, but we figured that like, we went to do a home visit, that giving an old lady uh, vouchers, having her going to the supermarket to get the groceries for the children, was really not going to be helpful uh, in her situation. And she did actually mention, if you go to her house, right, like all of them are sleeping on the floor. Only she has a mattress that looks really, really old and it doesn't have a bed sheet. And there were donations of like bolsters and, and pillows from other organisations and well-meaning individuals. Uh, but because nobody could take care of um, these kind of furniture at home, they all started to be yellow and they didn't have bed sheets oh, and they were not taken yeah. care of well. Um, and when we asked her uh, what kind of further assistance that she might need for her grandchildren, she really just started crying because she was so tired. Her doors are perpetually open because the kids are coming in and out and she has no form of controlling, especially the older ones, because her house is just right next to, across the street from uh, the hawker centre. So she, you, you really sometimes when you go and visit the house, there would be kids that like three or four of them would be walking out and the grandmother would have no way of knowing where they're going because she just has so many people to manage. And she has the young ones that, that she has to prioritise. Yeah. Um, so what we do is we stagger our teams of volunteers, uh, some to do the Stories for All program that comes in on a different day of the week to teach the younger ones like the ABCs. Um, and we see a great impact. In like three sessions, uh, they didn't know how to speak English, the four to eight-year-olds. And then suddenly they can sing you a, a song about a rainbow and like they can draw their favourite birds and things like that. Uh, for the older ones, it was a bit harder to engage because they have no interest to study. So we just kind of hang out with them uh, and really just talk to them and, and tell them to be a bit more, um, a bit kinder and uh, thoughtful to their grandmother. And then we gave her the voucher so that she could um, typically more of buying not just groceries, but also like the milk powder and diapers for yeah. the children. We also try to link up with the schools uh, that the children are in uh, so they get the school counsellors involved. So that it's really a community effort and, and with the volunteers just kind of take care of them. Uh, typically, we do our Stories for All uh, program in their homes, but it was so crowded uh, and they had to like, you know, they have three volunteers and all the kids would be sitting on their laps oh. and like standing around because there was no space. Uh, so after a while, the volunteers uh, decided to hold the session at the playground downstairs. 
So it's just more spacious. You just like to talk to them and, and stuff like that. And there were a lot of issues going on because a lot of the, the grandchildren were goats. So they had like a lot of like issues and, you know, a lot of different interests and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, a lot like of that. girl issues. Yeah, a lot of yeah. girl issues. Um, so the it was really helpful to have like the female volunteers. Mm. Um, some of them about like your age, just going in there to just talk to them, you know. And, yeah. and it's not like at a young age you can't talk about boys because in this day and age, like at 12 years old, you probably have a boyfriend. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> right? And you can't yeah. go in and tell them like, no, you cannot have a boyfriend. That's yeah. not what they would appreciate. So um, it really was just that kind of perspective. And you have like a father figure uh, like a volunteer, uh, a guy who comes in and I like, tell them the the do's and don'ts and, and stuff like that. Um, so I think it was a good mix. Um, but the challenge actually was to make sure that the volunteers' journey with the families mm. a bit longer, because the attachment issues started to get quite strong after a yeah. while. Um, but yeah, it's all part of the work. I think. So how long did this whole thing with this family last? Uh, it's still going on now, oh, okay. uh, even though we have stopped giving her the, the vouchers um, because there are a lot of other community services that came in to assist. But we realised the one that's most impactful are the volunteers coming to engage children. Uh, so it's still going on now on a weekly basis uh, where we have two different teams of volunteers going in, one to engage the younger ones and one to engage the older ones. So have they like become happier? Uh, I don't know about happier, uh, but at least they can converse with you confidently in English. Uh, I think that they're doing a bit better in school, mm-hmm. but because of COVID, I think a bit uh, it, it went up and then it kind of went down a little bit again. Uh, home-based learning was impossible for this family, like a lot of others. Um, so we're just trying to build it up again just to see where it can bring us for the next year. Yeah. So during COVID, do you guys still have the opportunity to like help them out as much? Um, the volunteers themselves actually did offer to uh, do a lot of calling and a lot of engagements when they couldn't visit. Uh, but now actually they are going in as like uh, one person and like trying to engage them in smaller groups. So like one to two instead of like okay. one, two, four, five last time. Yeah. So they're trying to do whatever they can to continue the engagement. I think smaller groups are definitely better because it's like more targeted. Because yeah. I mean, yeah. even like, for, I mean, it's not really the same situation, but like growing up, like in Chushin, I'd always prefer a smaller target because yeah. I feel like I'd have more attention. Yeah. You know, I feel like they'd be paying more attention to me. I'd have better conversations. So yeah, I think it's better if you have like a targeted group. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah. So who exactly uh, are these volunteers? It could be anybody. Um, so first, we would usually reach out into our Red Cross pool of volunteers who can and are willing and have the patience to engage children uh, people who like to do storytelling or like to play games with children or even youth who like to engage with other youth. Because I think one of the things that Family Life Aid wants to do is to expose these children to opportunities in life that are beyond what they know. For example, uh, last year, we brought some of the kids to Google's office. Mm. Um, I mean, it's a cool place. Uh, we didn't just want to bring it as an excursion, but we specifically told the staff of Google to engage the children to tell them that any one of them can mm. become a staff of Google mm. if they want to. Yeah. And it was very hard for them to understand it at first because they've never met somebody who worked at Google. Uh, they've always thought that the typical job scope would be a teacher or a lawyer. But um, to work in Google, it's something that's like completely out of their mind. Um, and, and they'd like to play games like uh, Call of Duty. And we tell them that anybody can do animations or anything in this path. And this just blew their mindset. They could become one of them. So it's very inspiring towards them, yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of youth can also tell them that like, you know, it doesn't really matter that you don't do typically very good yeah, when you're sure. much younger. Yeah. But you need to work as hard as you can to give yourself more opportunities to do anything that you want. 
as someone that like to draw and we usually tell them drawing can become animations if you want mm-hmm. uh, if you like to talk and you like to talk back to your teachers use that in a good way to do mass yeah. communications for example right? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah so, so things like that is what we want to expose them to i'm gonna be completely honest here i've never volunteered i'm okay. not even gonna say that i volunteered because i haven't i've never had i guess like i've just never really thought about it to be completely honest. Um, we'll just give you the links afterwards. Immediately, okay. you can set up as a volunteer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think before this podcast, we actually didn't know that uh, Red Cross provided us with such oppo- opportunities. Mm. You know, we always associated Red Cross with like life aid, blood donation yeah. and all that. Yeah. We've never like realized that there was so much more to Red Cross, which is yeah. exactly why we're having all these podcast episodes. So youths can know more about it like ourselves. But the thing is, uh, when thinking about uh, stuff like the storytelling aspect of it. Mm. Let's say as someone like myself, I like the idea of being able to help children like learn more, especially like in terms of English. Mm-hmm. I'd love the idea of storytelling, but I wouldn't exactly know would I need qualifications mm. to sign up or... We don't uh, need qualifications at all. So actually of a lot of our volunteer opportunities, we're not looking for anybody who's particularly qualified or a professional with a certain expertise. For us, we're just looking for volunteers who are really willing to journey with the kids and just kind of spend time with them. Uh, there's no right or wrong, uh, but we will definitely give you a certain briefing at the beginning, like the do's and don'ts, uh, yeah. you know, how to make them comfortable and what not to do when you go for a home visit. It's more like a briefing than a training. Uh, but afterwards, we'll just find like based on language Languages, what's the best match with the kids. Um, maybe in terms of gender, we also have to be a bit more sensitive about that. But other than that, we'll give you a starter kit of books that we think that the kids might like and really off you go, just kind of engage them. The first visit, we would usually be accompanied by our staff. And then after that, you just kind of get your get to know the kids better. Because we really just want a mentor, like somebody yeah. who can talk to the kids. And the tools, like the books and the ABCs, are just really things for you to use to engage them. Instead of going there empty-handed, and then they're like, don't really know how to engage yeah. or react. So these are just tools for you. And eventually it's just from the talking and the engagement and the communications um, that they know that they have a new brother and sister mm. who's going to hang out with them. So uh, as a volunteer, am I able to choose which aspect I want to help out with or will Red Cross assign me something? Uh, yes, of course. So when you sign up, you can already tell us your areas of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, when you receive any of our applications, like you know the recruitment calls, you just come down and find out more. Uh, of what it takes and like you know what what's the opportunity about what's the commitment level uh, and then after that you can decide uh, but more importantly it's really about knowing how much and how how long you want to commit for uh, like some and I think a lot of volunteers will be more interested to start off with like a one-time off kind of thing yeah uh, like a distribution or like a one-off event kind of uh, mm. volunteer so you can start off doing that first before coming to do a program I think that's the biggest concern uh, for someone like me who's never volunteered. It's the commitment period. Mm. Like you mentioned that um, Life Aid is more about journeying with them, yeah. getting to know them and actually connecting with them. But as for like, for example, myself, I'd want to try volunteering, but I wouldn't be so sure about how long I would be mm. committed to it. Yeah. I wouldn't know if I'd be able to come more than once. So yeah. let's say if someone like myself uh, volunteered for a one time off is that still fine or? that's fine and we would be worried if somebody comes up to us on the first day and say I'll be able to commit my entire life oh. Monday to <laughs> yeah. it's a bit like scary also bit, right yeah. um, so what we do is um, at this point because if it's on a home base where you visit them in the homes it becomes a bit more personal because you're literally like one to two kids um, so we would usually introduce uh, volunteers to the family life aid program uh, under this other one that we do 
so young huts that have explained as on an island-wide basis, right? So you go into the houses, etc. Uh, but we also have one that is at the void deck of uh, two identified rental flats. Um, so this is in Nisun, uh, and what we did, when, and this was only started in uh, last year in February, where we actually identified like two of the rental flats with like many, many children. Um, they needed just a third space to study because the houses were not conducive. So together with the advisor of the district, uh, we just kind of repainted the void deck to make it look a bit more warm oh, and cozy. What color? Um, so they, the, the, the children, uh, actually could decide. Uh, they come out with a brainstorming session of what they wanted to see on the walls. Oh, that's so cute. Um, so we actually got some people to come and design uh, and then they painted the walls together with like the professional painters. Um, so now it looks like a magical forest oh, that's cute. Uh, theme. <laughs> With like the little animals here and there. And then there's another one for the older kids. It's just like a wall that says uh, stronger together. It's just kind of like a reminder and just to yeah. break that monotony of all the white walls you see at the void deck. So every Thursday before COVID, we would hold a program where the whatever I've just mentioned about stories for intuition is at the void deck itself. Sometimes we would see over 40 to 50 children between the ages of 4 to 17 coming down to hang out with us. And that's a good place to start because your engagement with them is on a larger scale. Uh, so your absence will not be felt as much as if you go into the home-based uh, tuition uh, and, and engagement. So uh, usually we will get the volunteers who just want to try out to yeah. come for this program uh, and then just kind of see that if they like the program and they can continue from there. Because I think the commitment grows when you, you, know, you feel commitment not just to the program, uh, but to the people that you're mm. volunteering with and for. Um, so that I think that could be a good place to start. We're hoping that it would start again soon. Um, but now we're just doing the tuitions in very small groups uh, for the children. So clearly because of COVID affecting everyone, you weren't able to visit them at the Void Deck. So mm. have you noticed any changes perhaps? Like, do you think there was an impact of not being able to see them or? Yeah, I, I think that the impact... Um, started as early as the moment that we had to suspend the program mm. in March and April. Because I think a lot of these kids come from very uh, complicated backgrounds. Um, and a lot of them are just fighting for your attention uh, or for their adult attention because they are sharing their attention at home, not just with their siblings, uh, but also with like whatever is troubling the parents, whether it could be financial issues or like domestic conflicts, etc. So they always feel like they needed to shout to get something that they want to just be heard. Um, and I think during our program at the Void Deck, because we have almost a one-to-one -one kind of attention with them, uh, they feel like they are, you know, an individual who's not judged or uh, measured by their family situations. Mm, they feel heard. Yeah, they feel heard yeah. exactly and as an individual, you know, and like somebody really wants to hear what I as a person has to say no yeah. matter my age. Yeah. Uh, and I am not the eldest son of the family that have to look after all my siblings. I'm not the eldest one that needs to take care of the family because of my parents, right? I am just a child. Yeah. Um, we have seen one example of a kid that we knew him last year. He was in primary six. And I think this is what we call a potential youth at risk case where he was at a point of being angry with his family for the responsibilities that he had to cover when he's actually just a child, right? Then there wasn't anybody that could listen to him uh, and what he wants, what he likes. So, of course, he went to look outside, outwards, and look for, like, the companies that would think of it as a brotherhood. They're like, I am your brother. Now let's go and do, like, you know, cool slash illegal things oh, together. Yeah. Um, and it yeah. just kind of, like, he was 
on the brink of it when we started, actually. Um, but he knew what was right and wrong to do. And he always looked forward to talk to us. Because you don't tell him that it's a terrible thing to do. And, you you know, you're the eldest child. But we don't use that kind of condescending tone. Because essentially, they've just become upset with you if you yeah. just to tell them off. Yeah. yeah, and they know what's right yeah. and wrong. They just need somebody to come and tell them. To, to hear them out. Empathize with them. Right? Exactly, yeah. 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 And, and I think a lot of empathy must come from a place of really knowing where they're coming from. Yeah. Like for example, there was once that he would um, drink a lot of Red Bull because he saw like the older kids drinking a lot of Red Bull. Oh like the God. adults drinking yeah. Red Bull. <laughs> I know, was that kid? Which is terrible for you, <laughs> you right? That you're cool drinking yeah. like a ton of Red Bull if exactly. you're a grown-up or yeah. something. And, yeah. and he was putting on so much weight and he couldn't sleep because he was just oh, drinking Red Bull and Coke because it's what everybody else was drinking. But he knew it was wrong, right? Mm. So when he, he came to us and we tell him that uh, as a kid who was like this big size trying to be a gangster like actually decided to take a video and say I promise I will never drink Red Bull again because it's bad for me so he's a child at heart yeah. you know um, and, and at that point you could see like there's a lot of changes because he really just hangs out and he tries to be cool at first like stand off him <laughs> but he yeah. once you sit down with him he wants to talk for the entire night and we weren't able to go down and see him since March because of the suspension uh, and really his behaviour just kind of regressed quite exponentially from there um, so he got into quite a bit of trouble with the law. Um, and once when we were talking to his younger brother, who was under our tuition program, uh, the brother actually just said very candidly, yeah, it's because of you guys, because you are not there. That's why he became like that. Ayo. Yeah, so I think that was something that really impacted us and made us feel like, you know, the present is not just the academics, but really like the talking to them. Yeah. So when we returned to see him, he uh, actually had a, po- a cigarette in his pocket and he mm-hmm. wanted to show it to us. He knew it was wrong. So we just kind of look at him and he's like, no lah, I, I don't want to smoke, I just want to show you. And then maybe, so, you know, he was just like, he had his own thoughts. He knew it was wrong, right? And then afterwards, he just kind of, at the end of the night, he just threw it away. Like, he just uh, wanted that attention. Yeah. Thing. And not to just be put as a person who, you know, I need to take care of my, like, siblings now. Or like, you know, whenever, and it has come to a point because of all the things that he's done, that when, and the parents, understandably, are so stressed by so many things. That whenever like a teacher or somebody approaches the parents, right, they were like, "What did my son do now?" And he's like, "I didn't do anything." They're already expecting. Yeah, something. yeah. And we have another one who says another kid who's only primary five, and he would say like, "You know, they all think all the parents and everybody else think that I like to lie. So even when I'm telling the truth, they think I'm lying anyway. So what's the point?" Yeah, correct. Like, how do you yeah. juggle this with them, yeah. right? So the only way is to really be able to know them as individuals and coming from a perspective of like you know, you are a bit different from the rest of the people that I've seen, then I would be able to open up a bit more to you. And you would be surprised the kind of things that they would tell you. Um, teenage, underage pregnancy, for example, or like uh, <clears throat> maybe interest to join gangs, etc., etc. There are many of these things. But I think as somebody in the community resilience or like community services, right, or social service, you can't come in and tell them, no, this is wrong, stop it now. Yeah. But you must find a time to be able to get them to to refer to help if you really need them. Um, actually I wanted to ask, so you weren't able to meet up with them during COVID, right? So obviously that was hard because it's like all the progress you've been building on is, you know, you can't continue mm-hmm. building on it. But were you able to maybe talk to them online? Would that have been too different or um actually we didn't talk to them much online because a lot of them don't have access to uh oh, yeah, wi-fi yeah, uh and they don't even have a phone and even for home-based learning they don't have access to like laptops and stuff like that so yeah. um 
there were so we had a, almost a hard stop and a hard uh, suspension of like communications with them. Uh, but the moment that we could, uh, occasionally we would do like the one or two home visits just to kind of walk by and like say hi. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easier for the ones on the the ones at uh, Nisun uh, because they're all living in the same flat, uh, the, in the same two flats, right? But then uh, for the ones that are on an island wide basis. Uh, we actually get the volunteers to because they already exchange numbers with the the teens if they have phones, uh, but a lot of them don't. Like you would be surprised in this day and age how many of them actually would sit there at the void deck and just like tap on other people's Wi Fi. So a lot of it still happens. Um, so we weren't able to engage a lot of them uh, during that period. See now, I feel a bit bad now because I it just didn't even cross my mind that that could be like a thing like not having a phone. Like it just. Yeah. For myself, I just thought immediately, oh, yeah. they must have phones. Yeah. You could have just talked to them online. Yeah. So I feel a little bad for assuming that now. And I think you'd be surprised also at like um, how difficult it was for them to get access to laptops for the home-based learning at the beginning because the, the demand was just so high. Uh, and some of the houses are just not conducive to keep like technology lying yeah. around because they have so many children, yes. you know, like uh, another family uh, that through word of mouth uh, were currently assisting we went to see the house. Uh, the parents actually have uh, seven children of their own, but their house is also a safe space for at least 10 other kids, like they're oh. friends of the children to come and hang out when their own families are having issues. So in that uh, one-bedroom flat, uh, sometimes you would see about 15 people just kind of hanging out. Oh, okay. um, and, and it's really because it's, it's just a safe space. Mm. They might be low-income, they might be financially difficult, uh, but it's in a, in a place where they just feel happy uh, hanging out um, and none of the children have phones uh, only the parents have uh, they have one tablet that was donated uh, and recently I think uh, somebody donated a laptop to them uh, but because there were so many kids at home and there's no uh, when we went they, they didn't have a cabinet they didn't have they had one mattress um, they had one sofa and they had like three stools it was all that they had at home and a fridge it was all they had in, a house, in, in their homes um, and so it was very difficult for, for these kids to communicate with anybody. And it's hard to believe because a lot of them are in secondary schools, but they would take turns to try to like share using the phone and they didn't have Wi-Fi at home. So they were using completely on data. Um, so these are like little situations that we do see. And really when it comes back to like making difficult choices, um, because the parents are again so obsessed with trying to bring in the money um, to raise the family and things like that, uh, the kids the, who are in lower secondary decided that they wanted to do something to help the parents, but nobody was there to help them to decide what's the correct and wrong mm, thing to do. Yeah. So they had a bit of a run-in with the law, trying to earn some money for the parents and get some income for them. Uh, it affected their studies. And one of the girls who we visited uh, actually asked if, uh, because she had to be retained in secondary two, uh, she actually did ask if her life was over just because of that. And we had to like, uh, no, it, it really isn't. And there were so yeah. many things that you have to journey with them. Uh, so many thought processes that you have to journey with them. Different families really have different situations really, and different difficulties. Yeah, I can kind of understand how hard it is. Like, not personally, but I kind of understand how hard it is to have to share everything in such a big family. Because like, I, I am from the Philippines and I've got uh, family members like my cousins. So they've got to share a lot of stuff too and they don't have the best things. So that's why like my side of the family tries their best to like give them whatever Mm. we can, like Mm. some of our old mattresses or something like that. Like you mentioned them having to share one mattress and it's just hard to think about because, you know, they they could just be someone that you love, your family member. And so I guess that's like a big point for someone who's thinking about volunteering, like just 
imagine like what if it was your family member of course you'd want to help mm. them so I guess that forms a big point of it like wanting to make more connections yeah and yeah. I think for for from the perspective of a youth who's you know considering to volunteer uh, it's also important to come from a direction of possibly just sharing your experience as a youth right with another youth because a lot of these youth uh, I think at some point in Singapore, you share similar challenges mm. when it comes to the expectations from the family or if you're the only child or if you're in a big family, there are similar challenges. But I think also we do see youth coming from a place of like like a top-down perspective, right? Like I come in to tell the youth what to do and what not to do. But I think it's really just to be a friend. Yeah. Um, just to be a friend with a peer, you know, who comes from a different situation. So sometimes for volunteers, we don't tell them fam- the background of these families. Um, because with the backgrounds, even for adults, you come in with a certain impression and a certain stereotype. Mm. Uh, so we just want to say that you come in and do like tuition, right? English, math, science, just come in and talk to them. Uh, and it would tell you different situations. For example, the youth, um, the volunteers that we have now for the tuition program, they use themselves. Um, and they've just finished like poly or some of them are still going through poly. Uh, but they do hear things from the kid but they just use their own life experience to share with them. While there are certain guidelines of what to say and what not to say and what to encourage and not to encourage, there are also things that we would tell the volunteers that they have to flag out to us. For example, very upfront suicidal ideation, don't keep it to yourself, raise it to us immediately. Sure. But if it's things like what we like on TikTok or what kind of games you play, Mm. you know, those kind of things, you can just kind of share with them like your similar uh, situations. But I think volunteers who are dealing with children and youth must also be open to share their experience without judgment. Yeah. Um, and they sometimes would forget themselves to like, oh, I didn't know that you don't have this and you know, like mm. you're from a much um, more challenging predicament than us. But yeah, it also it's also for the volunteers to benefit actually, to just be like, feel fortunate in their situations. Um, and also just understand that Everybody is just like you guys. Like, they're just youth. You yeah. know? They want to go to school. They yeah. want to go to poly. And they have to go through the compulsory education. These are just parts of a Singaporean. Yeah, so so don't put too much expectations. Like, oh my gosh, like, a, like a, and responsibility and burden that a volunteer has so much to do. Just to come here and be a friend to another youth. Yeah, really. just lend a less, like, listening ear, I suppose, yeah. right? Just and let them break oh. their hair. Let them break your hair oh. sometimes. Or, like, you know, teach them, like, if they want to look at your fancy watch or, like, you know, the things that you wear. Mm. Just kind of talk to them about fashion, things like that. And um, So, talking about reaching out amongst our own community, I actually, I do have a friend that I know, a very close friend. And I understand from their situation that they possibly could be one of the needy families. So... How would I know whether he's eligible for this kind of family life aid? Or is there like a way for him to sign up? Or Sure, the, there are platforms, there are many platforms online that they can uh, apply. Uh, but I think the most important thing actually is to get their consent before you assist. Um, so I think after this, you can also definitely tell them that the Red Cross is one of the platforms that they can reach out for assistance. Um, but anytime that they want to drop by like a nearest family service centre or any kind of community centre, um, but it's also important before you act on behalf of somebody to just kind of seek their yeah. consent. Because sometimes yeah. there would be families that are in such troubling situations that they don't want to reach out. For example, we were just giving care packages to a family just as a, an additional push for them. Uh, they actually wrote in to say that it has benefited them in ways that it's hard to describe because they have mm. been in a situation for so long, they don't know where to get help. Uh, and also it could be because of their dignity because they've never been asking for help, like the pilots that we've mentioned, right? 
Um, but now with like somebody reaching out to them, they now feel comforted that there could be assistance out there that they qualify for. But they must first be the one to agree to it and yeah. want to seek the assistance. But you can always bring it up in conversations uh, just to plant that idea in their heads. And if they want, then they can just go online or like give us a call uh, and we can just get in touch with them very quickly. But I'm sure that you guys uh, get many applicants. So how do you guys select who to help? That's always the, one of the most challenging things we've had to do. As an organisation that relies on public donations, uh, how much we can help is how much donations we get. Um, so we're only typically able to help 150 families um, a year, uh, regardless of household sizes. Uh, it's all referred by social workers uh, or they can walk into uh, our office or they can just write into us. Uh, I will usually do a home visit. But how we decide, typically it's just really um, as a concrete assistance provider, just giving the vouchers. Uh, I think we need to prioritize those that require urgent or immediate assistance. Um, that we see that the vouchers can help them to clear some of their arrears. Uh, or really give them a push to get out of the situation, as opposed to somebody who has been in this predicament for a long time. I think that's where somebody like a, like a family service centre need to come in to look after them holistically. Um, so I think that's how we decide. So uh, just to give you a bit of perspective, every year we could receive up to five to 600 applications, uh, but we could only choose 150 only because of the funding that we receive. Oh, that choice must be really hard for that. Yeah, it goes back to the three categories that we have. Uh, skip generation, working poor and single parent. Uh, and also the urgency of the situation. One question that I really want to ask is why youth should volunteer? Because I think that many a times we think that we are too busy and we have we already have like so much on our plate. So why should we volunteer? I mean, ultimately, you don't have to volunteer, but I think it really would add a certain dynamic to your life to be able to just kind of reach out to someone else that might just need a bit of your time. Um, sure, it's challenging for youth to be able to afford a bit of the, the, the time out, but I think it could be seen as making a new friend or expanding your uh, knowledge and experience in life, um, especially now during this period where, like, you know, we can't, really travel or like you know there are a lot of limitations to our social life uh, it could be a good time for you to expand um, you know just understanding the community a bit uh, again it doesn't have to be with the Red Cross it doesn't have to be for youth or children but it could just be something that you like uh, and first the first question would be what kind of profiles are you more interested to uh, and keen to support some people could be you know animals or anything right but I think um, if it comes to the local community uh, the Red Cross has like you know elderly children youth migrant workers so many different types of profiles you can assist uh, and there are different opportunities for you to jump from one to another um, but why from a personal perspective it really just expands your your outlook on life, uh, that you start to realise that the things that you're troubled by seems very, very small. Or you could seem like you're not alone in sharing that same um, situation or the, the, the challenges that you're facing. Because somebody else uh, who lives in just another part of Singapore could be facing the same thing. Mm. Uh, you could also take this as an opportunity to find people with similar interests. You, know, you could be um, finding people who... Uh, that you want to be able to guide because you've seen how it has benefited when you tutor your cousins or something like that, you know. Especially people who do very well in school in a certain subject, please come and volunteer so that you can, via the local syllabus, be able to guide them on like how to answer some of the examination questions. A lot of times, uh, these kids, they don't do well because they don't understand the question. 
you know, if you get somebody who's a bit more senior, mm-hmm. uh, who's out of the syllabus and the system a bit, it's hard for them to resonate. So somebody who is about the same age group will be able to speak the same language and let, help them to understand life in the same era. Mm, uh, so I think that's why we're usually very interested and passionate to get youths to come for Family Life Aid. I think it's really important now that we know volunteering isn't about helping someone, just helping someone, but more like making friends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, making new connections. So it's nice knowing that it can just be something casual like that. Yes. Yeah. So um, I guess one last question would probably be, probably be, how could we sign up? How can we be a part of this? Uh, so if you like to be a volunteer, you can go to our website, redcross.sg. Uh, it's easy to navigate. You can just sign up from there. Um, but otherwise, if you are not ready to volunteer yet, it's no problem. You can find out more or even share with your friends via social media. Um, we were all on social media these days, Facebook, Instagram, at SG Red Cross. Um, and just kind of find out more and share with the people around you who might be ready and keen to volunteer. Okay, well, I guess we will stay tuned for all of these social media pages. And thank you so much for everything yeah, you've taught you us. No problem. Thank you, and no problem. thank you for watching this podcast episode. This is Angela. This is Ish. And we are signing off. See you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Crosstalk. Hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned for more episodes.